Ian Thorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold and a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on a third. He's got it. 984, a world record for Donovan Bailey and a gold medal. A perfect score. 10.0 for Dante Tabanici. A perfect score. The first time I've never seen it. Welcome to Off the Podium for episode number 98, one step closer to our 100th episode and one more week closer to the 2020 slash 2021 Tokyo Olympics, which we're going to be coming to you probably daily for. Uh, But today we're continuing on in our current series of being able to talk to athletes and sports that we've never talked to anybody before. And we actually have a really good one today. Uh, We're going to be speaking to Nathaniel Ma, who is a Nordic Combined athlete or was a Nordic Combined athlete. And this is great because uh, Nordic Combined is one of those sports that I don't know how many people are even familiar with it here in North America. I mean, even myself, I was sort of loosely familiar with it, seen a little bit during the Olympics and basic knowledge. And Nathaniel gives us a great description of the sport itself, which is really combining two other individual sports into one and uh, just how difficult it is to be a top athlete in two sports where the training is completely different. You know, there are some countries in the world Nordic combined is a huge sport here in Canada, which Nathaniel's from and where I'm coming from, not nearly as well known. In fact, Nathaniel is technically the last Nordic combined athlete here in Canada. And uh, even at this moment, uh, I believe still the last Nordic combined athlete that Canada has had. I can tell you this is one of the more unique interviews we've done because uh, while we do get into his history in the sport and the sport itself, we also get really into detail on kind of the business side of the sport, which is something that we haven't had the opportunity to do much before. So everybody, please enjoy this chat with Nordic Combined Athlete Nathaniel Mock. Well, we've been checking off the boxes of all the sports we've never had a chance to talk to anybody from before. And today I'm really excited because we get to check off technically two boxes, uh, maybe even three, because the athlete we have on here today is a multi-sport sport athlete. Uh, as we get to talk to a Nordic combined athlete, Nathaniel Ma from Canada. Nathaniel, thanks so much for joining us today. Of course. Yeah, excited to be here. Excited to talk and spread some information on Nordic Combined, which I'm sure a lot of the uh, people listening have never even heard of before. Well, yeah, that's the interesting thing is you know, it's something that, you know, I see during the Olympics, but there are several athletes, you know, biathlons and things like that. Uh, and sometimes it all gets jumbled in your head. And usually we start off these interviews by asking somebody how they got into their sport. But I almost think it's more appropriate to, you know, ask what your sport is because <laughs> Nordic Combined is a little bit unique. So you want to just kind of give a bit of a background on what Nordic Combined is? For sure, yeah. So, so Nordic Combined is a combination of ski jumping and cross-country skiing. Uh, so how it works is we'll jump in the morning and we start the race based off of the jump results. So the person who wins the jumping is going to start the race first. Uh, and the way the calculation works is it's, you know, one point is four seconds or 15 points is a minute. So in ski jumping terms, that's if you're not familiar with how the point system works, basically the further you go and the better style you have, the more points you have. And that basically gets converted into time. 
So if I jumped, you know, first in the jumping, I get to start first and get a head start on the rest of my competitors. And then it's their job to basically catch me before the finish line. And whoever crosses the finish line is the winner of the event. So the hard part about it is if you look at a ski jumper, uh, you'll see very skinny, very lean features with virtually no upper body. Uh, and if you look at a cross country skier, you'll see, you know, a lot more muscular people, you know, wide shoulders, big legs, big upper body, very, very strong. Um, they're very different body types and their training wise is very different. So ski jumping is, you know, quick twitch, explosive muscles. Think about like a sprinter versus cross country is more like a, a distance uh, athlete, right? So slow twitch muscles. Um, they don't have as much of that explosive uh, explosivity needed. So if you look at like a distance runner, and a sprinter, they look very different. Mm -hmm. And that's for a reason because they're doing very, very different sports. So in order to combine, you have to find the balance between the two. So, you know, you have to be good at both sports and you have to be able to train in a way that is, you know, working and complementing each other. So it's, it's kind of a, a weird combination that in hindsight doesn't make any <laughs> sense, but uh, it makes for very interesting races as, you know, it's not just like the winner of jumping or the fastest skier is the one that wins the event. It's, you know, there's a lot of tactics that go into it and there's a lot of things that change throughout the race that makes it interesting and, and a little unpredictable. And I could be completely wrong on this, but I'm going to guess that uh, you and most athletes don't get into the sport saying, I want to be a Nordic combined medalist. <laughs> you probably start out in one or the other sports and kind of you know, find your way into it. But I, how did it start with you? Did you start, you know, as a cross country skier and then you decided one day at the Olympic park to try a ski jump? I mean, how's your history with the sport end up with you becoming a Nordic combined athlete? Yeah, for me, I, I grew up uh, in Calgary, just about 10 minutes from Canada Olympic park, which is you know the site of the 1988 uh, ski jumping event. So I'm, I'm right there. We drove by it all the time. And I think I was three when I set, told my mom that I wanted to go off of them. And so she was thrilled to hear that, <laughs> obviously. Uh, but, you know, alpine skiing, I was always going off jumps and trying to go bigger and further. Um, so for me, it was the allure of the, the jumps, you know, like that's the biggest jump anywhere, really, <laughs> especially in Canada. So uh, that's what I wanted to go off of. Um, and so by the time I was six, we found the, the program Altius Nordic Ski Club, which I'm still part of today. And, uh, and yeah, they were they basically just, you start really small on, on basically going down the landing hill and going down like tiny little ski jumps where the, the takeoffs a foot off the hill and then progress from there. And so the way it works in Canada is it is very, I mean, there's not very many kids in Canada at all that don't that grow up thinking, you know, I want to be a ski jumper or a cross-country skier or an Nordic combined athlete. Most of the mm -hmm. time they get recruited through a multi-sport camp or, you know, through a different sport. In my case, I, I did want to be a ski jumper, oddly enough, one of the few. Um, and then by the time, you know, I, was, I, I got into it, you learn the cross-country aspect as well. So we, we teach in our clubs, we, we always teach both sides of the sport to begin, and then we specialize later. Um, and for me, it was uh, when I was about 13, I began to focus in on order combined and I, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Uh, and that's what I wanted to, you know, be is, is an order combined athlete. But so that, that's how it works in Canada. But most other sports, uh, besides maybe the US, it, it's mostly kids growing up and saying, I want to be an order combined mm -hmm. athlete. And they will specialize, you know, from an age of six or something like that. They, they go into it planning to be an order combined athlete. The nice part is they do have that option to change and plenty of people, plenty of athletes do. You know, they just specialize down the road to ski jumping or order to combine, and it happens at the high level 
as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, yeah, it was it was around that 13 years old that I, I, I narrowed in on being a Nordic combined athlete. I, I never would have thought before we started interviewing athletes on this show uh, that people do get into sports at such a young age. But you know, every time I visit the Olympic Park in Calgary, you'll see these classes of kids who are probably like you are six years old or under who are on skis. And I mean, here in Manitoba, it's a little bit different. I mean, they'll let us do cross-country skiing during gym class. Uh, I guess curling is big here. So I was in third grade and we were curling as part of school. But uh, just the idea of a six-year-old doing a ski jump, (laughs) I can't imagine with my kids. I mean, I've got a son who's five now. I certainly wouldn't trust them to do that. Uh, How high were the jumps that you were able to take at that age? So they were tiny. I mean, we're talking... You go to your average uh, alpine hill, you know, there's jumps on that on that slope that are going to be just as big as the ones that we start off on. Uh, the, the takeoff is only about a foot off the ground and the speed is really, really low. So, you know, even I mean, you're going to fall. Mm-hmm. It's inevitable, especially when you're starting out. But slow speed, small, small airtime. Um, the, the risk of injury is really low. And even at the high level, if we're talking the Olympic size ski jumps. Things are so controlled and, and dialed in that I think there's a lot of misconceptions and and think it's a really dangerous sport, but we're never going that fast. I mean, Alpine goes up to what, like 130, 100 something (laughs) kilometers an hour. I mean, we're going a hundred kilometers an hour, but we're in tracks that are perfectly made. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we can't really go off the course more or less. And there's wind gauges everywhere. We're not going to jump if it's not safe. Uh, And, you know, it's monitored. Every millisecond is monitored with the wind. Uh, There's a lot of, safety and, and controlled things that go into ski jumping where I, it's it's truly a safe sport believe it or not obviously things do happen but i mean i look at a lot of other sports and <laughs> i'm a lot, i'd be a lot more scared to go and play hockey uh, or any contact yeah. sport than to, to go off a ski jump and especially at the young age like you know speed, speeds are so low and, mm-hmm. and the jump's so small that it's honestly we even now we, we, we barely I mean, it's it's not common to see major injuries. You'll see the odd sprained or broken limb, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, I don't think, at least in my lifetime as a coach and being a part of the sport, I've seen the worst thing I've ever seen is ACL tear, mm-hmm. which is uh, quite common in our sport, unfortunately. But that's yeah, it's I think it's it's a lot safer than other a lot of the other winter Olympic sports. I guess part of the the thing you have to get over is the conditioning, like you said, being able to train your body to handle one type of discipline and then something that would be the polar opposite. Like, like you mentioned the body types and everything, what type of training do you have to go through in order to meet that middle ground? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a fine line and every athlete is different. So some athletes are going to be naturally skinny, but still mm-hmm. really strong. And I mean, those are, those are the guys that you'll see at the top of the Nordic mind where they look, you know, they don't look like cross country skiers. Um, but they're they're just one step up from from ski jumpers, if that makes sense. Those guys are able to train, uh, you know, really similar to a cross country skiing athlete or uh, or like like a sprinting cross country skier athlete. So one of the cross country skier athletes that doesn't specialize in distance, so they have that quick twitch. Um, but it is, I mean, the majority of our training is going to go into the aerobic side of things because that is mm-hmm. what takes longer. Um, the ski jumping, you know, it's, it's very mentally challenging, but physically, uh, the demand isn't mm-hmm. quite as high. So training wise, in my year, at least, at least, uh, I would say about 30% of my hours were ski jumping focused and the other 70 were on the cross country side of things. And every athlete's different. Um, you know, talking about 
different athletes. I also trained with Taylor Fletcher from the U.S., who is the fast, like one of the fastest cross-country skiers on the World Cup, but really struggles on the ski jumping side. So our training plans are mm-hmm. completely opposite from each other. Like they, we don't align in any way because our focuses are different. Uh, but really, it's you know most of the time you will spend more hours uh, on the skis. But you know it's it's finding that balance. I could go out and ski as much as a cross-country skier and, and do the same weight training a cross-country skier does, but it's just going to mm-hmm. negatively impact my ski jumping, right? So you, you have to find that balance. So uh, I, I actually trained with a cross-country team here in Canmore um, when I was home, and then I had a special ski jumping coach over in Europe. So I'd spend about three months home, and the other, you know, the other uh, 10 or sorry, nine would be over in Europe training there. So while I was home, I, I'd be basically doing the same thing as the cross-country skiers, but the hours would be less and the interval and the intensity sessions would be less. So they might be doing, you know, four by 10 minute thresholds. I'd be doing four by five minute zone fours, like a higher mm-hmm. intensity, quicker pace. And it depends on what time of year as well, but it, it, it's just basically in, in short, when we compare us to cross country skiing athletes, we do less hours, but very similar stuff. And when you compare us to a ski jumping athlete, we're going to do less jumps, but similar training. No, absolutely. Um, is there no like Nordic combined trainers? Like, do, is it typical? I guess might be different in Europe, like you said, where it's a bigger sport. But uh, is it harder to find somebody who can just be one solo coach here, or does it have more to do with you know you, you want to go to different facilities to specialize in uh, cross country versus uh, go somewhere that actually has a ski jump? What we're seeing now at most of the high level teams, you'll actually have one of each kind of coach. So usually we have a head coach and he's, or she rather is from a Nordic combined background or ski jumping background. Um, but someone that's able to understand both sides of the sport and realize that you have to compromise and, and find a middle ground. Um, and then they'll have a ski jumping coach, which is obviously specific for that side. So while they're doing their jumping sessions, that's the coach kind of running that training program. And then we have the cross country coach who's running just the cross country. So it's kind of the three, you know, you have each side ski jumping cross country and then the Nordic combined is there to coach is kind of there to, to mitigate and mm-hmm. find that, that balance. Cause what I've seen in the past, if you get a ski jumping coach in um, to try and run a Nordic combined program, obviously they're going to focus yeah. a lot more on the jumping and vice versa with a cross country athlete. So uh, most teams you, you'll get people from different backgrounds kind of combining together and making training plans um in canada it's especially the grassroots level it's kind of whatever (laughs) whatever we can get obviously ski jumping like finding a cross-country coach in canada isn't that hard there's tons of Mm -hmm. qualified coaches but there's a select handful that are qualified to coach ski jumping so most of the time we do have a ski jumping coach who's who's running the entire program um and at the grassroots level obviously that, you know, they have knowledge of cross-country skiing, and so they're able to do it, but they're, they wouldn't be able to, to coach mm-hmm. a higher-level program, basically. So for, for myself, because we don't have, you know, I'm never going to find a Nordic combined mm-hmm. coach, really, in Canada. Uh, I had, you know, a Canadian cross-country coach and a Norwegian cross-country coach, and then I had a Slovenian ski jumping coach. And then all three trainers worked together to, to create my training plans and programs. Obviously, any sport, you're going to have you know, audiences attach themselves to hockey here. It's not even necessarily in, in America, the same as it is in hockey uh, with hockey in Canada, but what's the difference between uh, a place like some of these countries in Europe where Nordic combined is 
a very popular sport and what uh, the, the young kids go after versus here in Canada? Well, the biggest difference is, is for one, it's on TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, hockey has that presence. Those guys are superstars because you turn on your TV every weeknight or weekend night and, and they're playing, right? And there's that idolization of them. And that's totally understandable. But the thing about being in Europe is that's how it is in mm-hmm. Europe. Um, you know, those you, those kids in Europe are turning on their TVs and they're seeing Nordic Mine athletes competing on the weekend. Uh, you know, they're seeing them on billboards and commercials and, and things like that. So they have that presence and they have that, uh, you know, that exposure to the sport every day. Versus here, I mean, like we said, it's, it's not a massage sport. And there's a few reasons for that. I mean, a, a TV network, you know, major Canadian TV network is not going to play Nordic combined because they don't see that it's going to mm-hmm. make money, which is completely understandable. Um, and it's, uh, you know, if you if you also think about the time change, we're competing in Europe at, yeah. what, uh, eight, nine, 9 a.m. And <laughs> that's, what, 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. or something here? So it's, unless you're playing it on rerun, it's, you're not going to see it. So it, it, it's a few things like that, but uh, yeah, in Europe, you see those kids idolizing, you know, they get into the sport because they see uh, an athlete like Eric Frenzel or Jan Magnus Reber, you know, competing on the World Cup and all over the place. And so that's what's going to bring them in, into the sport. They want to be the next Jan Magnus Reber. So we just don't have that in Canada. And that's... And, there's a number of reasons why, like I've already said, but I mean, the biggest thing right now is we only have one working uh, hill in Canada and it was built yesterday. <laughs> so we, we don't have anywhere to do the sport, which yeah. is a big part of it. Yeah. With you and your background, was there an opportunity to compete on a national level and then work your way up? Like, how did you get to the point where you got to that World Cup? Yeah, I mean, you, you start really small, just local club cops in Calgary. So it's it's just against people you train every every day, but it's preparing you to get into the mindset of, of what a competition is like. Um, and then we started going down to the U.S. The U.S. has a ton of great facilities, like especially in Park City, you know, the host of the 2002 Olympics. That's you know, those, those hills are in great condition. So, I mean, probably from the age of nine, I started going down to the U.S. and we would do what was called the Springer Tournay, which is just, you know, a summer competition where basically every ski jumper in Nordic Mine Athlete North America gathers to compete. And they have you know, levels from, you know, my age, nine years old, on the on the tiny ski jumps all the way up to, you know, the Olympic-sized hills. And you get to see athletes like Bill DeMong and Todd Lodwick and Johnny Splay, those Olympic gold medalists, competing in the same competition series as you. So it's, it was really cool to see that aspect of the sport but because nordic mine is or ski jump again nordic mine relatively small in nordic in, in north america we're always traveling to go compete against other people when i was growing up there's probably 30 kids in the club so going down to the states you know you'd be competing against a couple hundred kids wow. so it's <laughs> it's all we always start traveling so that's i mean it, for most athletes in sport you probably don't start competing internationally until you're into your late teens mm-hmm. um Whereas us, we start from, you know, as basically as nine years old for me and younger for other athletes, right? And that's just because of the size in North America. Um, and then you graduate from there. So the first, the, the next step in sport is uh, is the Continental Cup, which is the step down from World Cup. There is another level called Fist Cup, but North Americans aren't allowed to compete in it, unfortunately, just European nations. So most athletes would go from their club comps and their their little national comps into something like uh, a fist cup uh, and then from there graduate to continental and world cup so for me i had to go from competing just against 
North Americans to a Continental Cup circuit, which is, you know, it's just a step down. So I'm, I'm, I think I was 15 when I did my first Continental Cup and I'm competing because uh, I think Bill DeMong was there and he's Olympic gold medalist from Vancouver. So I'm, I'm in this little suit, 15 years old, like never really seen Nordic Amina at true form going into a competition with 30 year olds who yeah. this is their, you know, this is their occupation full time. So it's, that was a little bit of a learning curve and it wasn't until I was probably 18 where I started feeling really comfortable and competitive on that, that continental cup scene. Uh, but that's kind of, you know, in our sport, that's just how you have to do it. You just kind of get thrown in the mix and more or less have to figure it out because we don't have kind of those, those normal ladders of, of competition like you'd see in Europe. Like you said, most sports, I mean, most of the people we talk to on here, they're like, oh, you know, I started competing around 15 or whatever, right? Uh, junior circuits. Mm-hmm. And for nine years old, I mean, I, I, I would really be curious what your reaction was like. At that age, was it all nerves? Like, oh, I don't belong here. I'm too young for this. Uh, or, or did you have that moment of like, you know, I'm a superstar. I'm competing against world-class athletes. I mean, do you remember the first time you were able to travel outside the country and compete on a, you know, multinational level? Oh, definitely. Like for, for me, it was that superstar. Like, you know, I get to finally compete against it, you know, for at my level, I think I, I was uh, a little above the rest. I don't want to toot my own horn, mm-hmm. but I, I, yeah, like I, I was at the top of my age group without a doubt. So for me to be winning all these competitions in Canada and then go to the States, I finally had that competition really that, you know, it was interesting. It was really close. I remember there's two U.S. athletes, I think it was, Ben Barron, who's still a good friend today, and, and Will Rhodes, who also is a good friend today, were out there on, on three hills competing neck and neck. For me, that was awesome. I mean, I'm nine years old. I'm competing internationally against yeah. these new people I've never met. It's a really close, exciting competition. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that was that was great. And then we also, I mean, the fact that you get to meet other athletes from different nations, especially at such a young age, is crazy. Um, like, uh, making friendships that I still have today when I was nine years old i don't think a lot of people get to do that in different sports so it, it was a really cool part of of being a ski jumper in nordic mine is that you get that you you get to to do all that at such a young age whereas other sports you, you know you may never even reach that level to where you're competing internationally right mm-hmm. so it's it was definitely you know it's definitely cool for me one of the things that i found just uh, before we did this interview is it was actually a really great youtube video that you put up i think this was last year or the year before uh, which was just talking about, uh, in part, the how there isn't the same type of financial funding here in Canada for Nordic Combined. Uh, I don't, maybe you don't even have an answer to this. Do you, do you know how it's determined? Like, why do some sports get more money thrown behind them, like figure skating or obviously hockey? We would understand, right? But but even other minor sports like ski cross, you know, how how does an athlete get more support for that? And then how do you go about supporting yourself when you are training to be on the World Cup? For sure. Let, let me make something clear. There's not enough funding for sport in Canada, period. Mm. doesn't matter what sport. Unless you're hockey, they have so much private funding that yeah. those guys are going to be fine no matter what. Uh, but even in sports like speed skating, figure skating, they don't have that financial backing that they need. Um, and when you're talking about an organization like Nordic Mind Canada or Ski Jumping Canada, we especially do not mm. have that support. The way the system works in Canada Plainly, I mean, there's obviously a lot of different factors, but plainly it's based off of performance of your top male, female athlete. Uh, so if your top male and female athlete both get Olympic medals, you're going to have a good four years going next year. Sport's going to be funded. Um, it's going to be good. It's going to be good for you. Uh, if your sport gets zero medals, 
you can pretty much say goodbye to your funding. Uh, Nordic Mike has never had an Olympic medal in any in you know any year and it doesn't matter we've never had an olympic medal and that's the history so, of the olympics like as far back as winter olympics go yeah there's never been a canadian nordic mine athlete with an olympic medal so we've had great success i mean we've had uh athletes especially on the ski jumping side you know horse bulau athletes like that who have world championships medals uh world cup wins but if it's not an olympic medal it doesn't like that is what canada is looking mm-hmm. for and that's, I mean, that makes sense because it's, that's all that gets shown. I mean, every four years you see those sports like Nordic and minor ski jumping that you, you don't see. So mm-hmm. you got one chance to kind of make an impact that, you know, you, you got to do it. Whereas we, we just don't, we're not there yet. So it's, it's basically, it's, it's kind of like trickle down economics mm-hmm. more or less. It's, you know, the, the sports that get medals, get money. But then the question is, well, how are the sports that don't get money ever expected to get medals? Yeah, exactly. Right? It's a bit of a it's a bit of a chicken before the egg scenario. So when we talk to organizations like OTP on the podium uh, or Can Fund, and we're saying, you know, like we have athletes that are developing, well, they're 15 right now. They're showing a lot of promise, but like we need to invest in them. They're saying, well, you guys don't have any medals, so <laughs> we're not going to give you anything. <laughs> But it's then you're saying, well, how do we get medals without money and support, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's kind of a broken system, but it's it's kind of just the one we have right now. Yeah. Um, so working with Cross Country Canada and Biathlon Canada, which I've been doing since my retirement, even those bigger organizations, we're still seeing that problem with funding. Um, you know, people like to see four-year plans because it's based off the Olympics, and people like to see progression in charts and numbers, and that's all good, but sometimes you can't really see how well a athlete is progressing just based off of numbers and graphs. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's even harder when you see athletes. I mean, look at Alex Harvey from cross country, Canada, cross country, Canada, uh, after, you know, the Sarah Renner, Becky Scott days, there was a lot of money. They were doing pretty well. And so they were time they stopped getting those results every year. The funding got cut. And the same year that Alex Harvey wins a world championship medal, he gets fourth at the Olympics and they cut their funding. Think like, think about that. You have an athlete, you have an athlete that is, that just won a world championship, which is the same level as the Olympics. Yeah. It is the step down. It's the next thing. And he's one position off the podium and they say, well, too bad. You lost your funding. Yeah. That's insane. Because I, I remember one of the first interviews we ever did on here was um, uh, a, a race walker named Evan Dunphy, who had come in. I think he came in fourth. He was bumped from the bronze medal. And again, just that one difference of, you know, one one spot. And now it's like, OK, I'm struggling. You know, how, how am I going to get myself out there? How are we going to get our funding? And you are looking at an entire sport. It's not even necessarily just yourself. I mean, you know, did, did you see a lot of teammates who who maybe had frustration or at any point did you think to yourself, you know, hey, maybe I'll put Nordic combined aside and I'll focus just on cross country or just on. Is that normal that somebody would say, you know what, maybe there is going to be a little bit more support if I just do cross country or just ski jumping? Yeah, it, did, it definitely crossed my mind switching to ski jumping. Uh, they do have a let me, tiny bit more support than Nordic Mine. <laughs> yeah. to, to put it clear, Nordic Mine receives zero dollars uh, from any sort of government uh, sport support. Wow. Uh, to, it's the only winter sport in Canada that, that's received zero funding, to put it in perspective. 
Ski Jumping Canada, luckily enough, and thankfully enough, does receive a tiny bit. And I don't want to step on toes. We are very grateful for that support. Mm. Um, it's not nearly enough to, yeah. to cover our athletes' expenses. They're still paying out of pocket, but it's something, right? So I was at that level where I, I could compete with the Canadian ski jumpers. And it crossed my mind that if I switch teams, you know, I might have a team to train with. I'm going to have a coach that I don't, I don't have to find my own coach and everything. Travel is going to be helped with accommodations going to be sorted out for me. Uh, it would be easier. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, I, it's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an order combined athlete. Yeah. Um, and I felt that I had the potential to be a great order combined athlete. Whereas in ski jumping, just based off my body type, I knew that maybe I could have, you know, some decent results at, at that continental cup level, but I was never going to be a truly successful world cup athlete. There was just, I, I looked at my body and I looked at <laughs> the successful ski jumpers and I knew it was just never going to happen for me. I did not get that genetic mm -hmm. uh, gene pool that, that is needed. So even it, it's just not what I wanted to do. And I knew it would never be something that I, I would be happy doing. So if that meant, you know, having zero funding, zero support, zero help, but being able to do the sport, I love it. It's what paid off for me. But ultimately, I mean, the amount of teammates, I mean, I, I, when I was, 17 i had four teammates i had a team i had a coach they turn uh 18 and have the choice of you know going down the road of having zero money zero yeah. help uh trying to make it in in a system that is basically set up against you or going to school and, and kind of moving on with your lives and so that i without a doubt that makes more sense mm -hmm. and that's what they did so you know that's why in the last since uh, since I was 18 years old, I was one of the last Nordic combined athletes um, in the nation it, it, because of that, because you're you're set up in a, a system that isn't designed to, to support you or help you or, or continue longevity in sport. And I think what you see in Nordic combined is, is becoming more common in a lot of other winter sports as well. I mean, if you look at continuation after age 16 in sport, the numbers are going down every single year. And people are asking well, why is that happening why are kids because they like video games and they want to watch mm -hmm. tv and stuff like that and i think the answer is because in canada we don't see amateur being an amateur athlete as a career mm -hmm. or as as a life choice um you see a professional athlete as a career if a kid grows up wanting to be a, a professional hockey player and make a living doing that it's not it's not this crazy idea if you hear, you know, any other sport, if you hear a, an athlete growing up saying, I want to be a, a, a cross country skier, I want to be a, you know, downhill skier and make a career doing that. It's, it seems a little far fetched. And I think in our, our society, it is seen as not a real career choice. Mm -hmm. You know, not, I mean, even my parents, when I told them I wasn't going to go to school and I wanted to continue doing sport, it was terrifying for them. And it caused a lot of, you know, friction in the family because, no parent in Canada ever expects that their son is going to be or their daughter is going to be able to be an amateur athlete and live a sustainably financial life. Um, and it seems foreign in Canada from you know, not just from athletes and parents, but even from, I would say that the organization set up to do it. They're not promoting longevity in sport and that, you know, promoting that this is something that kids could actually grow up and do. Mm -hmm. It's basically until you are at the top of your sport, you're the 1% 
you're the Olympic medalist, that's when you're going to be able to, to do this as a job. Until you're there, you know, too bad. You got to figure it out on your own. And so, yeah, n- I mean, nice there's hobby. very few people that will, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's very few people that are ever going to reach those levels. And some, even if they had all the help in the world, just may not. That's mm-hmm. the sad part about some sports is just sometimes, no matter how hard you work, uh, how much help you have, you're just never going to be at that top level. Mm-hmm. But the, the sad thing is people don't even get the opportunity to try. And you said you were one of the last Nordic combined athletes in Canada. I mean, when you made the decision that you, you wanted to retire from the sport, uh, were you looking forward to, hey, there's all these things that I could do for the sport, even if I'm not on the skis? You know, what was sort of your, your game plan and going, uh, I guess, from this point on? Are you involved in training and just getting the word out about the sport? Yeah, so I'm actually on the board of Alberta Ski Jumping and Nordic Combined now. <laughs> Um, I work for Biathlon Canada as a uh, as their marketing and communications consultant. Uh, I advise with Altius Nordic Ski Club, which is that really grassroots uh, grassroots program we have in in Calgary. Uh, and I'm I'm now a member of on the board of the Nordic Combined uh, Canada, and I plan to be part of the board uh, for Ski Jumping Canada next month. So. Yes, I am very, very involved. <laughs> um, just this morning, I was out actually at the Capmore Nordic Center scouting a place for a, a potential new ski jump. It's just a really tiny one, but something that we can actually get, you know, allow athletes to, to start to learn the sport on. So um, that's not why I retired. It's definitely like I had a bit of an extra exit strategy mm-hmm. and felt that, you know, where I was as an athlete, I need to focus on myself and not the future of the sport. Mm-hmm. Um so it was definitely you know part of my exit strategy is to stay involved with the sport and, and hopefully ideally make a difference and not just in in nordic and minor ski jumping but in all amateur sport in, in canada i think there's a huge void there um and so if i can make some sort of difference on that level that that is my main goal um but you know the, the opti- uh, uh, at the end of the day the reason i retired was was for a few reasons but the biggest was i never felt that i could be competing against these teams that have you know, $5 million budgets yeah. when I'm out there supporting myself through private sponsors, right? Like I, I realized that there is no way for me to ever reach the level I felt I wanted to be at with the amount of support I had. And so it, it just, it, it started to have an impact on, on my enjoyment of the sport. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, it started to be spending six months in Europe by myself was not fun anymore it just felt like work and you know it, it just it, yeah it, it really took the enjoyment out of the sport for me and so that's a big part of why I left is because you know it's just I didn't think I was ever able to be at that high level with the amount of support I had is there any type of fundraising that goes on for Nordic Combined in Canada like how is the the private um funding done is it is it just you look for you know a business do you want to uh you know, throw this many thousands of dollars just to support our trip here or, or are there fundraising events that people can get involved with just fans of the sport watching can, you know, do an auction or throw twenty, thirty dollars out there? At the moment, not really. We don't have any athletes. So like <laughs> we we're not fundraising at the moment. Everything right now is based uh long term and basically figuring out, you know, how to one survive until we're able to have a, a facility where we can actually start to develop athletes mm-hmm. and, and get kids involved with the sport. 
Um, right now, we yeah, we don't have an athlete competing, so there's there's no <laughs> fundraising really going on. Um, when I was an athlete, I was it was a lot of private sponsors, so a lot of emailing and calling and never getting responses. <laughs> but yeah. so you're literally cold calling, you know, hey, we yeah. need to make this World Cup trip or whatever. We don't have enough. Basically, yeah, it, it was more or less. I, I had a resume. Uh, it's it's honestly mm-hmm. it's the same as a job. I have my athlete resume. It shows you know the the media statistics for Nordic Mind, how many people are watching TV uh, when I'm on there competing, what their exposure is going to be like, um, you know how I promote people on my social media, the campaigns I come up with. That all went into my my more or less resume, you could call it. And then that's when I would be reaching out to different brands or sponsors and more or less trying to make deals so it would be you know you give me five hundred dollars for a sticker on my helmet and i'm going to promote you on my social media and you'll get the tv side of things and you'll get mm-hmm. my personal following side of things right so that that's basically how it was and um you know luckily enough my my parents were really supportive and so when i couldn't get it from the private side they were they were able to help me which was huge i definitely wouldn't have been able to do it without them yeah. So, I, you know, I'm glad I come from a place of means, uh, but, you know, I was, think, I'm sure from one of the few. Cause, uh, yeah, think about all the other yeah. kids out there that don't have any type, anything, or maybe they just don't have, you know, the, the ambition to be sending all the emails themselves. Meanwhile, they know that there's athletes in other sports that have people doing that for them, right? Well, it's, it's funny in winter. I mean, summer, I think, is a little bit more accessible. In winter sport, I guarantee you're not going to find – or sorry, I'm not going to guarantee that, but it's going to be very, very rare to find a high-level winter sport athlete that isn't coming mm-hmm. from a place of means. That's yeah. not – you know, hockey, obviously, there's programs set in place. You know, Timbits Hockey, there, there's, there's those organizations that are allowing kids and supporting kids to do that, which is amazing. You don't have that in other sports. You, mm-hmm. <laughs> look, if you look at Alpine – Canada right now I mean their team fees are like it is crazy how much those national team athletes are paying a year and that's coming from their parents I know a lot of them personally and I know that that is coming from their parents and you could not do that sport even at you know a a fist level that kind of that like early teenagers you could not do that sport uh, without the financial support of your parents (laughs) and it's Mm -hmm. that's just the situation it is right so uh, there's no program set in place for that. It's not like yeah. other. If you look at countries like Europe, that there are programs where you don't need to be coming from, you know, a rich family to do these mm-hmm. sports, right? So it's, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> to me, it's crazy. It's just like it's, there's other countries that make this possible and make it happen. Like, why can't we just do that? <laughs> like, yeah, it's, just do what they do. Follow their model. They've figured it out and they have success. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously been a lot of changes in Canada, you know, even, I guess, leading up to Vancouver, it, it must have been even worse before then, because you hear about all these, oh, it's really great, you know, since, uh, you know, own the podium and stuff like that before that even existed, but I mean, obviously still so, so much further to go. Uh, I'm guessing at this point, there's not really uh, any chance of a Canadian athlete in Beijing, uh, but uh, is there potential, you think, for the, the following Winter Olympics that we might see somebody from Canada? No, we, we won't see a Nordic combined athlete uh, on the World Cup level for at least another decade or two. Wow. We we have athletes that are practicing Nordic combined as we speak. Um, they're, you know, they're under that 13 years old right now, mm-hmm. but they lost their facilities at Canada Olympics, uh, Canada Olympic Park when they decided to close the ski jump. 
So, th- I mean, those athletes haven't been able to actually train on real ski mm-hmm. jumps year round for what, like five, six years now. Um, the fact that they're still involved with this sport shows how much they, they love the sport. I mean, mm-hmm. this winter they were just jumping in Ramsey park in Calgary on a, a snow bump more, <laughs> it's not a ski jump, just a hill with a little a jump on it. And they were out there, you know, three nights a week ski jumping or trying to rather. So it's, you know, for them to be ready in the next eight years for Olympics would be quite a, you know out of the question realistically mm-hmm. um in my mind until we have a full development pipeline and long-term development plan set up we're not going to have any athletes at, at the high level so we mm-hmm. need to have grassroots level programs we need to have the facilities is going to be the biggest thing and then we need to have you know coaching infrastructure and programs set in place that we can promote the longevity of athletes in sport mm-hmm. so that none of that's there right now so first we need to figure out all of that then we need to find athletes and then we need time for them to develop and grow so yeah it's it's gonna be it's a long-term project but we you know we are hopeful and we do have these plans set in place nordic yyc which is going to the, the plan is to have a ski jumping biathlon and cross country at a facility one facility in calgary you know that is a plan and that is a long-term vision so I, I am hopeful that there will be another nordic Mine athlete in the future um but but not in the near future mm. on the ski jumping side of things however we do have athletes that are performing extremely well uh mckenzie boy Klaus, matthew suka uh mckenzie just had his best overall world cup result last year uh, he finished ninth uh as a personal best and had, he had the best individual results of any Nordic sport. That includes biathlon and cross country. And he has, I would say, we they probably have, you know, 10% of the budget that those other sports do. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, and you look at Matthew Sukup, who's a younger athlete coming up. He just got his first top 30 on the World Cup, which is there's only a handful of Canadian ski jumpers ever to do that. On the women's side, we had Abby Strait. Uh, she finished top 30 this year in Russia. I mean, we have athletes in ski jumping that are performing at a high level and that have potential next year at the Olympics. I mean, I, it's not out of the question that Mackenzie may be on the podium. That is a very real possibility. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he, there's been no increase in support is kind of mind-boggling to me, despite the fact that he had the best results of any Nordic athlete from yeah. all five disciplines of sport right like that's so nordic mind nothing but ski jumping we still have athletes uh and they need they need help and they need to be supported without a doubt and people can just tune in i mean if anything from what you were saying tv ratings actually do matter in this case so people tune in watch it during the olympics and you know people start to wonder hey what's going on here there's canadians i mean look at what happened even in a sport like tennis it's not like anybody in canada watch tennis before we had Milos Raonic and Jeannie Bouchard. So it takes one person yep. getting on the podium and all of a sudden, you know, maybe an uptick in interest and Nordic combines back in 2020 something, 2030 something, let's say. Well, I mean, yeah, you need that. You need, you kind of need that one person. You need that Patrick Chan uh, or mm-hmm. that John Montgomery to, to do that. I mean, how many people knew what skeleton was before he yeah. was drinking a beer on the streets of Whistler, <laughs> right? Like it's, 
Uh, you can see you him know, right behind of, me. I've got a exactly, picture on my right? wall. So I you, wasn't watching Skeleton before that. <laughs> exactly. You, you kind of need that person. And, and uh, you know, I, Mackenzie would hate me saying this, but he, he kind of is that person right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I really do feel, especially going to this next year, that if there's any Nordic athlete that needs support and that has the potential for Olympic medal, it would be him. Uh, so if you're listening, I would say go to Ski Jumping Canada, do some research. It's super easy to donate. It's a, it's a charity, so you can tax, uh, you can use it on your taxes. I mean, yeah, if there's any athlete, it's him. He's, he's yeah. got all the potential going for him. And I mean, that being said, any Nordic sport right now in Canada is struggling, and they all need the help and support that they can get. We've got a number of females in cross country uh, and a male that, that has the potential for an Olympic medal. And in biathlon as well, uh, Emma Lunder, she finished ninth uh, as a top result last year. She was in the top 10, I think, three or four times. Mm-hmm. Her and Christian Gao were fourth in the mixed relay two years ago and sixth this year. I mean, that is an Olympic event that they have the potential at putting at, and it's going completely overlooked by Canada. So it's, it's crazy to me. But, you know, any Nordic sport right now has that potential. And they're just one step off. So it's it's just a matter of getting that following and whether it be from individuals that feel like they can make a difference like that's going to go a long way but it, it really needs to to start from the top down mm-hmm. and there needs to be a better distribution of wealth within within amateur sport yeah without a doubt it needs to be focused on development longevity and not on the top one percent and we're going to get to our final set of questions here, but uh, just before we do that, uh, where can people follow you online or anything you want to plug for any of these organizations that they can follow? For sure, yeah. Uh, Ski Jumping Canada has uh, you know a new Instagram. We have Facebook. We have a website. Just Google it. You're going to find all of them. It's it's really easy, and those are up to date. Uh, we have people that are constantly letting everyone know how the athletes are doing, um, the results from the World Cups, what's going on in the off season. Uh, for Nordic Combined, we just have a website right now, but <laughs> again, we don't have athletes. So yeah. It's pretty, like, <laughs> honestly, my, my work for Nordic Combined Canada is not in the public side of thing. It is all behind the scenes. Everything we're doing is, is long-term. So really like, you know, you can go check out the website, but I, uh, there's not a ton of interesting, uh, interesting stuff going on there right now. Um, and for my personal social media, you know, I'm, I'm not very up to date these days with how much other work I'm doing. I mean, my job is social media for other people. So mm-hmm. that's definitely where our focus is. But if you feel free, it's just my name uh, on Instagram. Uh, it's funny because um, we have a, a final set of questions here. We actually take this from the Team Canada website. And what they do is they get athletes to fill out questionnaire some of the questions are you know more serious sports related and some of them are just more fun but they fill out in their own handwriting there's pictures and everything and you actually mentioned the one that i pulled up for you which is christian gao so <laughs> maybe we can kind of compare your answers here uh and see yeah. how you guys match up uh so uh first question your favorite olympic moment is uh ooh. could be any sport even if you have Jeez, a combined tough. Master. <laughs> yeah all olympics all yeah, time <laughs> i i got it i honestly i have to say bill the mong in 2010 uh to see a north american standing on an olympic gold medal podium for nordic combined was insane and especially because it was someone that i knew personally mm-hmm. um you know seeing him at the at jumps in park city seeing him around even had the opportunity to compete against him and then seeing him on that olympic podium to me was crazy especially you know it's vancouver we were there personally i was there watching um so yeah that that's 
That's, oh, you were in be... attendance for it? Yeah, I was actually like in the stadium when he crossed the line. Wow. So that was, uh, yeah, that was wild. That definitely have to be it. Uh, how about this one? As a kid, my favorite sports team was? Uh, probably just the Calgary Flames. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> kind of, <laughs> yeah, I mean, every kid in Calgary is going to probably either be Stampeders or, or the Flames. So that, that would have had to be it. How about this one? If I could be any superhero, I would be. Can fly. I guess just well. I feel like you know everyone would say Superman because you yeah. can literally do all of them. I mean, how would you not? And I fly mean, for me, flying is the big one. So, see, you're the uh, smarter one here because Christian answered Batman. So he wants to have zero powers but be rich. It's not a bad way to go. I mean, <laughs> you don't have to even be a Superman. You can just still be rich, and that's there's worse <laughs> things. But yeah, for yeah, flying is the big one for me. So I'll say Superman because. How about your favorite music artists are? Right now, I've been I've been listening to this Canadian artist, uh, Jaguar Sun. Uh, super small and obscure, but I've just been uh, listening to his, his music nonstop lately. Last what type of genre is it? It'd probably be like indie or alternative. Would be the yeah. I'm gonna add it to I, my list because I'm I'm always looking for stuff to listen to. <laughs> yeah, I think he's just out of somewhere in Ontario. I believe, but yeah, he's, he's good stuff. I recommend. Uh, if I could eat only one food for the rest of my life, it would be. These are horrible. These are so hard. <laughs> uh, are we talking like, like, well, I think like potatoes, cause you could survive off of them. <laughs> cause every other, that's, like every, you're going to die. The first if you just smart answer. Ice cream. Well, yeah, you're just going to die if you eat ice cream or pizza all the time. Like, it's not sustainable. See, Christian answered, Christian answered cinnamon buns. I would have said dill pickles, but now you have me rethinking this whole question. That You're the first person well, who's answered logically. I don't know. Like, if you try and eat cinnamon buns only for, like, three <laughs> days, it's not going to go well. It's going to be horrible. Um, yeah, I think, I, I guess, I mean, if for fun answer, probably, like, yeah, probably pizza. Because it's you can like diversify it enough to make it different every time. But like for like a reasonable answer, probably potatoes. I don't know many foods. No joke. Only potatoes is my yeah. new favorite answer because it makes sense. Well, I don't, I'm just thinking about logically. I don't yeah. Know. You ever see the movie The Martian with Matt Damon? Yeah, exactly. He just yeah. He eats poop it's potatoes. potatoes for two years. <laughs> yeah, it's the. So that's why I'm like, well, it's gotta be. I guess it's gotta be that. Uh, do you have a favorite place to compete of all the places you've competed around the world? What was your favorite place? I really like competing in uh, Planica, Slovenia. Um, that's where I based out of. So whenever we had a competition there, it was like a home competition. All my best results are from there. I was, you know, 27th in Summer Grand Prix. It's the first time I saw Summer Grand Prix points. I was mm. 26th and then a Continental Cup there. That's still my best Continental Cup result. So like, you know, home, home advantage. Um, and that's where I train most of the time. So, uh, it wasn't like the most amazing place in the world. I'd say like Seyfeld is probably my favorite place to be, uh, that has, you know, to compete, but just from a performance side, it was definitely Planitza. That was, that was home. Uh, here's a final question here. And this, this is an interesting one because, uh, I have a feeling that there's one or two, there might be an obvious answer here, but maybe you're going to go completely different direction. If you could be an Olympian in any sport other than your own, which sport would you choose? Jeez. Um, 
probably uh freestyle skiing oh yes just because i okay i'm not gonna say that they don't train hard because i know that those guys train hard <laughs> okay like i'm well aware of that but the fact that there are free days where they can just go ski pow or like heli ski and get paid yeah <laughs> um, and that's also considered training and like their job that sounds pretty good to me so like that that's probably that'd probably be it because i mean i alpine ski for fun and tour for fun and those guys do it for a living so <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd probably have to go with that one again smart answers you might be the, the smartest person to ever answer these questions on the show well, i don't know about that <laughs> i think thinking. i just I, I might just be looking at them in a different way but <laughs> sure there's lots of smarter athletes of answer these questions than me <laughs> It's been great having you on the show. I mean, it's always great to be able to hear about a new sport, especially one that you know I've sort of seen maybe every once in a while in the Olympics, but don't even fully understand. So, I mean, you've given us a good explanation of Nordic combined as a sport. It's definitely something we'll be checking out in Beijing, uh, and it's great to be able to hear just uh, a lot of the the, the behind the scenes stuff of the sport as well. So, uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time and let me share uh, some knowledge about the Nordic world uh, to some of your listeners. And big thanks to Nathaniel for joining us here today. If you are listening to this episode, but uh, you didn't see any of our posts on social media, uh, you can follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, we are going to tag Nathaniel and as well some of the organizations he's involved with now. And that brings it into episode number 98. We have episode 99 coming up next, which uh, I will not say who the next athlete we're going to be interviewing is, although we do have a few that we're lining up at the moment. I'll kind of leave that as a surprise. We are, again, looking to introduce new sports that we've never talked to anybody before, so stay tuned for when that episode drops. And then following that, it's going to be episode number 100, which uh, exact plans, what we're going to be doing, we won't tell you, uh, but uh, you can expect some type of best of, and hopefully we may even be able to play clips of all of our interviews and all the episodes we've had over the last 50, because our last best of episode was at number 50. And we're counting down the days now to Tokyo 2020, coming to you one year in the future from 2021. And as I said at the beginning, you can follow us on social media as well as subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you can find us. And stay tuned soon for episode number 99 coming to you soon as well as episode 100 and then Tokyo 2020 slash 2021.